Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show for Friday, September 2nd. Derek Benriper here with Keith Law. On this episode, we will discuss September call-ups. A lot of young players getting their first opportunities at the big league level. A few young players getting their second opportunities. But interesting players to break down as teams are jockeying for position in the playoff race. We're going to talk about the Orioles' big step forward as an organization this season. Not just the fact that they're still two games back of the final wildcard spot here on September 1st, but that they've got several players in that system that have taken steps forward in the minors this year. Plus, Keith had his first look at Jackson Holiday since Holiday was drafted first overall by the Orioles a few weeks ago. So we're going to talk about that and the Yankees. What's going on with the Yankees? How'd they blow that huge lead they had in the AL East? And should the Yankees lean on at least one of their top prospects to potentially help out that big league roster down the stretch. So Keith, let's start in Baltimore. Their step forward is more than just being a better major league team than people expected. The playoff odds from Fangraph still seem a tad on the light side, given how late we are in the season at 6.4%, but a lot of skepticism is still baked into the individual projections for this team since they've overperformed everyone's expectations to this point. Are you any more optimistic about the Orioles being a real playoff threat now than you were even a month ago? when the buzz really first started to pick up? No, you know, this team is kind of outperforming a lot of its fundamentals. They are clearly not as good on paper as the teams that they are still chasing. I don't think the last time I looked at the schedule did not seem very favorable. And although we're excited, I'm certainly excited for the guys that they're calling up. You know, there's no guarantees, right? Gunnar Henderson is the second best prospect in baseball. I think he's going to be a legitimate long-time star. I couldn't tell you what he's going to do in September, right? A one-month sample doesn't mean anything at all, basically. And so I want to, uh, you know, I think if we're being realistic, this team has played like a slightly above 500 team for the entire season. That's probably what they are. Could they outperform that the rest of the way? Of course they could. A one-month sample doesn't mean anything. This team could go, you know, 17 and 9. I don't know exactly how many games they have in September, but they could go something like that. And that wouldn't be a surprise. It doesn't mean they're a better team than the, you know, it doesn't mean they're a better team than we said. Uh, they have, like I said, they've barely outscored their opponents this year. I mean, it's kind of was just a hallmark of some of those showalter playoff teams. They've been a little bit lucky. That's okay. If it puts them in the playoffs, awesome. Makes them a great story. I don't think they are still a likely playoff team. I'm definitely in line with the fan graphs odds there. And I think that, you know, it strikes me as one of those clubs. We've seen a few of these. Seattle last year would be an example. Overachieve one year, but actually the best is yet to come, right? Next year, 
especially if they go out and spend a little money on the rotation, or maybe a lot of money on the rotation. The Orioles could be pretty good, like legitimately really good, a 90-win team next year. If Henderson's up, Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall are in the rotation, they go out and spend maybe on one more guy for the rotation on a legitimate, you know, more than just a back-end guy. Um, Joey Ortiz will be up. Um, Obviously, Rutschman is already there. They've got well, actually, they've got multiple other guys who are not this caliber of prospects, but who'll probably be up at some point next year. I think this team could be really, really good in 2023. They're not there yet. They're overachieving, and that's fine. Makes them a great story. But I, I can't change what my opinion is of the actual players on this roster, right? And what they're likely to do in the small sample of a remaining month. Yeah, we may flip the calendar to October and they might still have meaningful games. They might still be mathematically alive in the final month of the season. I think that Seattle comp from a year ago is really fair because we knew at the time the Mariners had one of the best collections of young talent in the game. A lot of those players were primed to graduate and we've seen it play out this year where they've continued to push chips in and it makes a lot of sense. The, The path is so much more difficult for the Orioles having to contend in the AL East, yes. the more balanced schedules next year will help a little bit, it softens that blow slightly. I think the thing that's really interesting about the Orioles right now is that next wave of players, I mean, Colton Kowser, hardly a secret, but another player that in the system has advanced, has gotten better. I think that's a really good sign. We're probably going to see him at some point in 2023. He'd be among the many players they're going to have a chance to promote. They've had a couple of more role players or at least semi-regulars, guys like Taryn Vavra and Kyle Stowers who've hit the big leagues this year. Uh, other minor leaguers that have been pretty good, Jordan Westberg, Connor Norby. It just seems like many players as they've advanced have at least been as good as they were at previous levels, if not better. And I think that's the thing that Orioles fans should be the most excited about in the long run like this season's fun and a break from a dreadful multi-year rebuild but you're probably going to be at least a wild card contender for the better part of the next four to five years with the current group that's coming together i agree with all of that their system is very skewed towards hitting that's the one thing that if i'm an orioles fan and i'm trying to temper my enthusiasm There's a lot of hitting coming in this system, a ton of position player props, especially a lot of guys who project as regulars. They're not all stars. I I like Joey Ortiz a lot as a prospect. I don't think he's a superstar, but I think he's definitely an everyday shortstop. Maybe maybe he ends up an above average regular shortstop, but they've got a lot of guys like that who will play every day somewhere. I think Connor Norby might be a super sub, but probably good enough to play every day. Probably not much more than that. Um, you know, good enough to get every day at bats, maybe just does so doing by playing multiple positions. I could, I think they're going to have to, first of all, they're just not going to have enough playing time for all these guys, right? They've got this whole group that was largely a buoy recently. Um, they've broken it up a little bit, but those guys aren't going to, well, all going to have playing time in the big leagues. Also, they're probably just going to have to trade some of it to get pitching, right? Their whole part, they'll, the, one of the major issues with this rebuild and why I have generally not agreed and people say it's the best farm system in baseball. It's one of the best farm systems in baseball. You got to have some pitching. You got to have a lot more pitching than they have. Now is the point where, and I think this was the plan all along, by the way, it's not criticism of Wayne Michael Elias and company have done it. Now is the point where you gather up some of those guys and say, okay, we're going to trade for a significant pitcher. Maybe it's not a free agent thing, right? Maybe it is. We're just going to go out and, um, 
They're just going to go out and trade. Maybe it's, you know, Westberg and Norby. And I'm not a big Kyle Stowers fan. He strikes out a lot. He's going to continue to strike out a lot to the point where I think it's going to hurt his ability to be an everyday player. But other teams may disagree, right? You package together four or five of those guys because you actually don't need them all and go get yourself a number two or better starter in the trade market. Like That, I think, has to be the next step here, especially because, you know, they, either they do that or they sign a major free agent starter. Or maybe they do one of each. And then, hey, they don't need Grayson Rodriguez DL Hall to make 30 starts each next year. They need each of them to make 18 to 20 starts. And they could manage workloads in the case of Rodriguez. Or if DL Hall's command doesn't, and command it really commands, not even command, it's control, doesn't improve quickly enough, we, uh, you know, they can leave him in AAA for a little bit longer. Maybe break him in the bullpen or something. They have more options that way. I just, that, that's, we're there now. Now is the time that they have to do that and get serious about converting the huge total value that they have in the system into into you know enough balance to fill out the pitching staff. And I wonder if eventually we'll start to see more more quality pitching come through from the Orioles having a presence in the international free agent market that they didn't previously have. I think we talked about this once at some point in the past year. It takes a lot of time to get that system fully up and running, to start finding players that become impact players. But it it's something that the Astros have done really well. So I just wonder how much of that is is part of the the broader plan for, for Mike Elias, given the similarities between the two organizations since he came from Houston. They inherited some different stuff in Houston. I think there was a little bit more there when they got there in the first place probably more overall talent you know within the system including the major league t- t- including the major league roster I don't I actually don't even think um, I don't even think that's in dispute I think that they can um, I think that there is a huge uh, I think there are general similarities in the philosophy but I think in Houston there was more there they found more value in some pitching that was already in the system. They also found more value, I think, off the you know proverbial scrap heap. It's harder to find those guys now. So the challenge has been a little bit greater. Um, and they've still done well, right? They've gotten some value out of guys in Baltimore this year that maybe they weren't expected to, um, which is great. That's exactly what a club like that is going to need to do probably on a pretty consistent basis. But I think that um, they... Uh, I do think the Houston parallel is about half right, maybe not all the way. Yeah, it seems like a lot is going to be placed on Grayson Rodriguez being healthy yeah. and really good atop that rotation. That's not fair, <laughs> right? To anyone. If there's any sort of bumps in the road, I could just see that there being an excessive amount of frustration with him that doesn't really seem warranted. And mm-hmm. with D.L. Hall, it's it's just about the command, right? I mean, the stuff is clearly impact big league stuff right? oh yeah he's got the best stuff in the system for me i actually think it's better than grayson's but grayson puts it over the plate yeah huge difference there uh, john means comes back healthy that's a, a nice lift for them eventually assuming everything goes okay with his recovery from tommy john yeah 24 probably right yeah or at least late next season probably late 2023 would be the earliest he'd make an impact so they definitely need some pitching austin voth nice find for them getting him from the nationals turning him into a useful starter at least in the short term We'll see if they're able to do that with a few other players uh, in the organization. Um, you did get your first look at Jackson Holiday since the draft recently, so I'm just curious what you saw. Yeah, the most notable thing to me is, man, that's a physical 18-year-old, like good-looking kid, strong, looks like him. You know, until he takes the helmet off, you see his 
baby face. Like, <laughs> oh, that's an adult, like right? That's like to see plenty of eighteen year olds where you're like he's really projectable. He'll get there, great body, but he's not there yet. Now he's pretty well filled out. He might get a little bigger, but he's strong. It's a really good swing. Is <laughs> a really good swing. I mean, the only criticism I had, I got one game. I'm not going to draw any big conclusions here. The one thing I would just sort of offer as a very mild comment was, I think there's an adjustment here for him in, you know, I saw him, there was a play, it was a pop fly to center field, short center field that actually would have ended the game. And he didn't peel off. That's the center fielder's ball, right? The ball was in front of him, the center fielder was Dylan Beavers, who was their second pick in the draft this year. Beavers had it. He was getting to it. And Holiday doesn't peel off. Beavers has to hesitate, drops the ball. They don't end the game. They don't even, they end up losing the game, actually. Uh, I'm not pinning all that on Holiday, but to me, it was a little bit of, uh, okay, everywhere you've ever played in your life, you were probably the best player on the field and you made that play. And that's fine. Of course, he's going to learn how to do that, right? I have no doubt in my mind he's going to figure that out. However, it's an adjustment, right? That is like most players, right? They have to, he's got an adjustment he has to make and that's fine. Um, it just said a little bit to me that, oh, hey, you know what? He's a kid. He's an 18 year old. We tend to put these guys on pedestals. I do it too. There's really basic stuff sometimes that they have to learn. I don't think Holiday's going to have a problem with this in the long term. It's just a reminder that, what did he have, like 10 games in pro ball when I saw him? And before that, he was in high school. This is not a kid who went to Georgia, Texas, California. He played in Stillwater, Oklahoma. He was probably the best kid on every team he played on from the time he was 15. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment, but uh, a ton to like, of course, for Jackson Holiday. Oh, yes. Anybody else you saw in that game that was at Delmarva? Anyone else that really stood out that you thought was uh, was intriguing? Yeah, I, Beavers wasn't great. Judd Fabian was really not great. Jake Fox, a Cleveland prospect, good approach, draws a ton of walks, and has some bat speed. But I got, I was a little bit worried with that one that it was a take to take type of approach. And I do see a lot of that. And I feel like a lot of teams are preaching that now because they know it'll juice guys in models. But it's like, is he really that kind of hitter? And he's not playing shortstop now. He's played, I think, a little shortstop this year. He's playing center. Jordis Valdez was on the other club. He could play the hell out of shortstop, actually. That was really um, that was really impressive. I just he's got a hit. He's a high contact guy. Jordis Valdez is a player 20 years ago. He's not in full season now. He's in short season. Then he's in full season next year, and it's a level a year, and we let him build himself up to get the strength because the defense is already there, and he might be five, six years in the minors, but we wait. I worry that the lack of the short season clubs and thus fewer jobs in the minors, period means a guy like him doesn't get enough chances to develop. We'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. Like I don't think he's a great prospect. I think it's still a long shot. But high contact hitter who can play the hell out of shortstop. You give those guys time. There's plenty of guys like that in history who didn't get to the majors or really stick until they were 24, 25. But then they can produce a lot of value once they actually get there. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at Fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's talk about the Yankees for a few minutes. They they deserve a little bit of airtime because things are not going particularly well in the Bronx right now. Womp womp. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sad trombone, you know, whatever whatever your preferred oh, no, sound wait, drop is. The trombone is, is over at the Mets, right? When Edwin Diaz comes in. That's Timmy Trumpet. Ah, damn it. Timmy Trumpet, his stock is through the roof right now. That's true. That was the sleeper. That was the guy you should have all had on your fantasy teams back in March. Timmy Trumpet. Should have had a lot of Timmy Trumpet this season. Six games uh, is the lead now for the Yankees over the Rays as play started on Thursday. They're up eight on the Jays. They're up 10 on the Orioles. Fangraphs has them at a 100% chance of making the playoffs. Uh, 91.1% chance of winning the division. So it doesn't seem that bad in that context. But the lead was a lot bigger and a ton has gone wrong. Luis Severino has been on the 60-day IL in the second half. Bullpen injuries have piled up. Nestor Cortez got hurt recently. John Carlos Stanton just came back from the IL. Matt Carpenter, who was really good in the time that he was on the field this year, got hurt. Maybe that actually mattered more than we realized at the time. I kind of wanted to see what was next for him, just given how unexpected that turnaround was. So you could start to come up with some reasons why the lead would shrink like this. And I think I see people, a lot of Yankees fans and people that follow this team closely on Twitter suggesting that they need to do something that other contending clubs have done and turn to their system to address some of their flaws, that maybe Anthony Volpe would be an upgrade over Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. Now, Volpe's season got off to a pretty slow start at AA. You saw him recently. If you were in Brian Cashman's shoes, would you be willing to make that move and give Volpe that opportunity given the current situation? Well, Anthony Volpe can hit the ball to the warning track, and I don't think Isaiah Kiner-Falefa can. So that's a pretty immediate upgrade for me. Yeah, I would. I think Volpe, you know, Volpe got off to a slow start. He has 100% recovered from that. Uh, He looks great across the board. The swing is fantastic. His feel for the zone is good. Um, he might scuffle right out of the chute. Like, like I said earlier, any of these guys can. His instincts, his game clock are just so good. He's always in the right place. He always knows where he is, where the ball is, where he's supposed to go. So the only misplay I saw him make in the couple games I caught uh, with uh, Summer, he was in, he's on Somerset Double A Club in North Jersey was one where he was actually too good for his second baseman. The ball gets to him. It's actually pretty routine 6-4-3. The ball gets to him. He comes up and makes the throw immediately, like he's assuming the second baseman is going to be there. And the second baseman was didn't do anything wrong necessarily, but just wasn't quick enough, right? A major league second baseman is there. I saw Volpe do it. I was like, oh, 6-4. Oh, damn it. And then it's, you know, balls out in right field at that point. It was like, no, I want my shortstop to be like that. Get the ball, get rid of it. Like it was immediate. I've seen him go into the hole, turn, make the throw. It's accurate. He just does all the things, the little things that indicate a player who's going to get the most out of his physical ability. He has also, and I've written, talked about this a lot. He has gotten stronger. He has gotten quicker. Um, 
Like he really improved his body in a lot of ways since he was first drafted. I was not a fan of the pick when they drafted him. I've said multiple times, I was wrong. This kid's a superstar. I would absolutely bring him up. The only hesitation I think you'd have is, um, you know, does he actually start the majors? Start in the because I think he has to go on the forty man this winter anyway. Does he actually start next year as the major league shortstop? Maybe not. I'm not a hundred percent committed to that. I think he probably would spend the bulk of the year as their shortstop. Why not call him up now, give him that cup of coffee, and see how he handles it? Well, especially when the reason you would play kind of left in the first place is for his glove. If Volpe's not a downgrade defensively, and he brings probably a similar offensive floor immediately, and obviously a lot more ceiling, why not? I guess that, yeah. that would be the, the only thing I could have thought you would have said was, oh, yeah, maybe maybe there's some concerns about Volpe's defense that would hold him back. No, that's no. not it's never really been. Yeah, part somebody of the story. asked me like what because MILB has him listed as a second baseman, like on his official page, which is stupid. First of all, it's not predictive, right? Just who knows where that came from. People are like, but they haven't listed as a second baseman. So what? But it says in the dictionary, that's not, no, the dictionary doesn't determine the language. It just documents how the language is used. Anyway, it's a whole different rant. Volpe can play shortstop. Well, I understand that Peraza is a better defensive shortstop. I've said that. I've seen them both. However, as Walter Peraza is nowhere near the player that Anthony Volpe is, you make Volpe your shortstop, you build stuff around him. You don't build the whole roster because they have other guys like that. He's your shortstop. You move out from there. You do not move Volpe just because another guy can play shortstop a little bit better and thus give up all of the value that Volpe generates by being a legitimate shortstop, probably going to end up a plus defender there, who also hits for average, gets on base, has at least some power, and can really run. Warning, if you uh, look at MILB.com, I think the way a position gets added is just simply by playing a game there in the past. Ah, fun. That's awesome. Yeah, so if you look at last season, back in 2021, yeah, one game at second base, according to baseball reference for Volpe. Sure. So, sure. okay. But Great. he's a real shortstop. We do see some teams moving players around a lot more defensively. Spencer Steer is among the many players getting an opportunity with roster expansion. He was traded from the Twins to the Reds in the Tyler Malley trade at the trade deadline. And Steer, since joining the organization for the Reds at AAA Louisville, has played in four infield positions and right field, according to C. Trent, covers the Reds for the Athletics. So they've moved him around a lot. Does it give you any pause when you're looking at players that are not settling in at one position, or do you look at that as an organizational philosophy where maybe versatility is more important to some teams than others, and they're just looking to get someone comfortable with two or three spots? I think the Giants are like this. There's other teams that do it too. Is it is it a positive? Is it a negative to have that versatility? Have you changed on that over time? Oh, I think it's good to have the versatility. I understand why teams do it. Um, I also think it's a good thing to do with a player who doesn't have a clear position, right? It's the opposite of a Volpe, where it's, you know, Spencer Steer probably isn't plus anywhere defensively. I don't think he is, at least. Um, okay, so then we, uh, you know, then you move him around. And I think a lot of his value does come from the versatility and the fact that he can play several positions passably. Um, gives him far more opportunities to stick on a major league roster. And he has played this year, he's played five different positions. I'm not counting DH, right? All four infield spots and right field, one game. Okay, sure. But he's done it, right? Obviously, somebody thought this man is capable of standing in right field for nine innings. He did it for nine innings. Good job. 
Yes. He made it. Which means, obviously, he can also stand in left field, right? So, yeah, I think that's, and I think that's probably what he is. He is some kind of super utility guy, maybe one who's good enough to get everyday at-bats, right? I'm not saying he's not, but I'm saying that I don't think he has a position that is clear enough, right, that gets him to be a an everyday player. Like, he's not, it's like some elite defensive second baseman. That guy's going to play every day at that position. But the bat is good enough to probably get him every day at bats as somebody who plays four or five different positions for you over the course of a full season, which also makes you, like I think, pretty valuable, especially if you're the Reds, right, where you've got a lot of moving parts. You're trying to turn the roster over. You don't want to stink forever, though. He's 24. right? He should be just – he should be on the major league roster from now on, right? If he hits enough to do so, which I think he will, that's it. Spencer Steer is coming up to never go back to him. Yeah, I think – the way I would look at it is you, you see a player like Steer, he's a little older than your, your top prospects who are probably more important to your long-term future and figuring out where you're comfortable playing him at the big league level and how much he's mm-hmm. going to hit, that's really important because once you bring up Ellie De La Cruz and Edwin Arroyo and Noel V. Marte, if they all come up as Reds, if one of them's not traded, figuring out where those guys go is going to be a problem for later and Maybe they push Steer off of whatever spot he lands at now, but the more you know about Steer, when those guys arrive, the better off you are. So why oh, why bother with the up and down game with him, especially when you're rebuilding, especially when you're bad right now? So I, I do think this is going to be a good you know, end of season window for Steer and probably a pretty full run of playing time for 2023 as well. Mm-hmm. I agree with everything you just said. Like, I don't know if Ellie De La Cruz is really a shortstop in the long term. I know he's athletic enough to stay there. Um, is he consistent enough? Will he be? What's the body going to look like? He's still pretty projectable, I think. He's unbelievably talented. I mean, I think he's the highest upside player currently in the minor leagues, especially because there is some chance he stays at shortstop. I would probably bet against it right now based on the little I've seen and just what I think the history is of players in his category. But yeah, you just, if you're Cincinnati, I think the Reds have done a really nice job, by the way, across the board, traded well, drafted well. Some major league stuff they've done that I haven't really loved, but I'm, I put that in a separate category. In terms of saying it didn't work, we tried. Freaking pandemic killed them. We try. We got to turn it over, shift again. Also, our owner is telling us he doesn't want to spend any money. You know what? That baseball ops department, kind of across the board, has done a really great job. A really great job of talent acquisition, basically everywhere. It's a really good system now, and it's got a lot of different things. Could probably use a little more pitching. I feel like I say that about a lot of organizations. I like where they are. I like how they've gotten there, and I like where they're. I like their uh, their current status, and they've got some things they still need to work on. And I do think finishing off some of these pitchers is going to be pretty important. Like Hunter Green, as talented as he is, talented as he is, came to the big leagues and wasn't really ready. There's stuff he clearly still needs to work on. I think he'll get there, but that's the one thing I would like to see the Reds show more of is the finish. Right? And particularly more for pitchers than for position players. But if we're looking at just how much talent these guys have, yeah, it's a lot. Among other teams that were in better playoff positions uh, a month ago and have, have taken a bit of a tumble, the Brewers are part of that group right now. They did bring up one of their better prospects, Garrett Mitchell. I see it kind of working as a platoon where you could use Mitchell against righties, use Tyrone Taylor against lefties, and your center field spots probably a little better than it was before you brought Mitchell up. I've always wondered where the in-game power is. You know, I think the raw power expectations compared to the actual results so far, uh, 
leave something to be desired. So what do you think about Mitchell long-term as a player? I mean, what's his short-term floor and what's his long-term ceiling? I'm actually with you. It's funny you say that. That's kind of what I think he is. Maybe good leadoff guy. A little more swing and miss than you'd like, probably, from that type. But I also don't think if you're getting on base, it doesn't really bother me quite that much. Um, but, you know, legit center fielder, plus center fielder, probably an 80 runner. Um, he's been okay against lefties. Enough so that I don't feel like I have to say he's a platoon player. And I do think he's going to hit. He's going to generate some extra um, speed with his legs as well. Um, I think he's going to generate some, like, and also just be able to get on base at a good enough clip that he's more like a traditional leadoff hitter. I don't think there's power there, despite his size. I've never thought the swing was particularly well geared to power, certainly not to doing both, right? To making contact and hitting for power. That's really, I guess, what's kind of more lacking there. Um, and, but that's fine, right? I think that's a good, that's a good outcome. Like you're pretty happy if you're, if your first round pick who they took, I'm looking 20th overall back in the pandemic draft, he was actually one of the only players I saw that spring. If that guy turns out to be a solid 50, an everyday player plus defender and center, gets on base at a decent clip and runs really well, that's really good. I think that's a good first round outcome. Um, and their system is not great, but it's gotten quite a bit better this year. They had a couple guys take steps forward. Jackson Churio is now third on my overall prospect rankings. Um, I guess he's first among guys who are still in the minors. And, you know, Mitchell gets to the big leagues. Tyler Black hurt now, but had a really nice season so far. They've had a couple other of their um, uh, international signees have done pretty well. It's, it's good because that system had gotten very bare. And also they made a couple of nice trades too. The system had gotten very bare and I thought it was going to impact their ability to continue contending going forward. Yeah. Sal Freelick having a pretty nice year moving up in the system yes. and getting a Sturry Ruiz I don't know if we talked about Ruiz. I don't remember if we really dug into that. What kind of player do you think he is? I was really surprised when he was a part of the deal that sent Josh Hader to San Diego and then stayed on the roster because of their, the their, roster, their outfield right? yeah. depth. I just thought, okay, the, David Stearns is going to do something else. Ruiz is never going to wear a Brewers uniform. Sure. And then he stayed. And now I'm sitting here like, wait, maybe they like him. I mean, maybe, maybe they, they had like another him. deal that I didn't like come him. together. But what do you think he's going to become? Yeah, I think you know, it's interesting. He's the word is if you think he's a legit center fielder, and hey, maybe maybe not, right? If Garrett Mitchell's there. If you have a reason, can Garrett Mitchell? Mitchell's going to be your center fielder. Fine. So maybe Ruiz ends up in a corner and has a chance to be a, a regular. I think his chance to be more than a regular was kind of tied to him staying in center. I've always thought he could hit, just in the sense of make contact, make good quality contact. Approach has generally not been his strong suit. It looked like he took a step forward this year. Um, the raw data we had, some of the, you know, speaking to R&D folks, they were convinced based on some of the better data they have access to. That was also real. And, and he's running, like really running, right? He had 70 stolen bases, uh, overall this year, including the one he had for the Padres, right? Which was, he could always run a little bit, but it's, oh, no, wait, this guy's, way faster than I thought he was. I, I don't know what ends up happening, right? I'm, I'm, I, if I sound a little uncertain here, it's because, you know, Ruiz is also a guy I liked a ton when he was in rookie ball and the Padres first traded for him. And then he just sort of didn't do a whole lot for about 
three years, not counting the pandemic year in there, but basically from like 18 through 21, it's like, ugh, maybe not. And then you forget, you know, he was only 23. He is only 23 this year. And you know, something clicked. I don't know that the Padres really did anything. They've never really mentioned to me making some specific change to his approach. Or I don't think the swing is any different. Maybe he did it on his own, but better approach, more contact. He's generally made a lot of hard contact. Guy runs like crazy. That's pretty good. I, don't, I like that player. Do you think he's a corner outfielder? Well, I think that he will be in that system, right? I think that's the unfortunate kind of reality of being there that I don't know what else. Like, I don't know what alignment gets him more playing time. Like, what gets, you know, what else can he, he's not going to take, he's not going to play center if Garrett Mitchell is there. Okay, now what? He's got to go to the corner outfield. Right? He wasn't very good in the infield. That's where he used to be. So I don't know what else you do. They're going to have a little bit of flexibility on the roster because they've got Andrew McCutcheon as their primary DH. It's a one-year deal. Yeah, I don't expect him to resign. So then they can probably use Yelich half the time as the DH, half the time in the outfield. And you have a full everyday playing time share to use one of your young outfielders in. And maybe that's the way that Ruiz breaks in. Maybe Hunter Renfro gets traded or, or non-tendered, even though he's been good. Hunter Renfro is 28% better than league average for the Brewers this year. Mm-hmm. So doing good Hunter Renfro things and kind of an important player for them. But this is actually the best offensive season that Renfro has put together so far as a big leaguer. So a lot of moving parts potentially in Milwaukee. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job Job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. A few other recent promotions. Let's talk about Miguel Vargas. I don't think anything's changed from the first time he got called up in that I don't think we have a clear everyday role for him yet. But if we look ahead to next season, I think there's a very good chance that Miguel Vargas might have a spot to call his own on opening day in 2023. Yeah, I would buy that. And I think they should, right? I think he's ready. I think he, you know, I'll be curious where that is, right? I think that's probably the biggest question. He has played third base 
everyone agrees he's gotten better at third base. He's also played some second base. First base is always the, you know, sort of last resort. They tried him more in left field this year. So he played most of his games at third base, vast majority, but he's got 23 games in left, um, all in AAA. And I think it's just a matter of this guy's going to hit. Let's just find a way to get him on the big league roster because, like I said, everyone agrees uh, on the bat that he's going to hit and he's going to get to, I would say, at least 18, 20 homer power with a chance for more than that, too. Um, so I think there's, you know, first base is obviously not open in L.A. specifically, which is thinking like in the abstract, where are the places this guy could play? He's probably got three spots. If you believe that he can handle third base enough, then third base, left field, first base would always be there, which obviously would be D.H. in, in L.A. But yeah, I think he's he's an everyday player for them next year. And it does seem a good bit like they like to integrate one such guy per year. Yeah, Gavin Lux was that guy maybe a year ago. Miguel Vargas, that guy here in 2022. A few pitchers that are up, a couple that I think are really interesting. Hunter Brown in Houston. Uh, we've seen the Astros use quality starters as multi-inning relievers. And as soon as there's a need, bump into the rotation. Boom. Brown has a deep enough arsenal. Like, there's not really a question about him being a starter other than command. Maybe is that about it for the question? Oh, you're around being him? kind. I think he's a reliever in the long time. Like, I don't know that this guy is going to have the command or even control to be a good starter in the big leagues. I think he could be a lot more effective as a reliever. Like, I, as what I'm saying is, I think he could start but will have less value than he would as some kind of multi-inning reliever. And the biggest reason of all, I think, is I don't believe he's ever going to throw enough strikes or enough good strikes to be an effective major league starter. He has a great arm. He absolutely has a great arm. And he's it is not a stuff question. It is just about command and control. And given his age, experience, and delivery, I don't really feel good that he's going to get there. Are we talking like Josh James command and control? Ew. That's pretty rough. That was mean. I like Josh James' stuff. He just had no idea where it was going. No, he got worse in the big leagues too. He got better, right? And then he got worse. Yeah, that was that was disappointing. I was briefly a big Josh, Josh James, James guy. It kind of never really... He never turned into the guy I thought he was going to be. He's one of those players that... People have forgotten about because he's hurt with a lat strain right now. He comes mm-hmm. back and is throwing really hard in spring training next year. Could have a, a nasty wipeout bullpen roll. Like, I yes. can see that still happening for him. I hope it does. He's a guy where if the Astros like suddenly put him on waivers, you know, twenty-two teams putting claims on him. Yeah, they're not going to do that. I'm not saying that, right? You know, right? Just before Ke- Keith Law said, the Astros are going to. Yeah, no, I did not. Say, I promise you, I did not say that. No, there's still a very exciting arm there if he can find a way to put it all together. Uh, we're going to get our first look at Ken Waldachuk in the big league, at the big league level. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know if this is going to be, is this going to be a mid-rotation starter profile long term? Is there room for a lot more than that? Where did you fall on, on Waldachuk? I know some people were underwhelmed by him as the headliner in the return in the Frankie Montas trade, but I forget where you fell on this one. Uh, I am very underwhelmed. Below average command, really doesn't have a very good third pitch. It's a fastball, and it's a good fastball. Mid-90s, big spin, a lot of movement, 55 slider, big platoon split, um, real long arm action. So he's a hard time repeating it, hard time getting to the same release point, getting to the same time. Like, no, I am am definitely uh, 
bearish on that one. Now, the one thing I will say is this is Oakland and they do have some history of guys, you know, go there, pitch there and uh, have success, right? That's guys who wouldn't have success in lots of other places ending up having success in Oakland because it's a really good ballpark in which to pitch. I don't really think it's a coincidence, for example, that Frankie Montas got good there. I think we've seen a lot of other pitchers be good there and not, and then leave and not be good, not be anywhere near as good. So if Waldachuk turns into what looks like a league average starter, I, I certainly, I'm always going to say, is that really him or is that the ballpark? But I'm betting the under. And I think the problems with lefties are, are going to be an issue regardless of ballpark. Yeah, the Oakland Coliseum, as I've said before, I think it plays like a, a damp basement would play. So <laughs> that's very pitcher friendly. Like the Yikes. ball just doesn't fly there. It's 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 wet and cool and it doesn't smell real good from what I'm told. I've never no, actually true. been there. It's just yeah, the, the uh, sewage Coliseum, right? Yeah. Oh, that, that's that's part of where that reputation came from, right? The oh, there's there's broken pipes. There's an E. coli mm-hmm. outbreak. It's like, oh, man, that's not a ballpark you want to go to anytime soon. Oakland fans deserve better. I will say it again. Oh, absolutely. Better ballpark. They're great fans. They deserve a new ballpark. They deserve an owner to spend money on payroll. And to be clear, also, Oakland should have a team. This isn't Tampa Bay, where there are at least some economic arguments that that area is not going to support a major league franchise. I'm not saying I agree. I'm saying there is an argument to be made that that franchise would be better off in another city or metro area. I do not believe that is true of Oakland at all. And I think this idea that they need to move, first of all, Las Vegas, the worst freaking market for Major League Baseball. It's just stupid. And even more so now, there are already two teams there. At least if you were the first team in the door, right? That would be different. Yeah. You know, this, this is a big part, I think, of the NBA has all this success in what I used to joke were American Association markets. But it turns out they're the only game in town, pun totally intended, in like six different cities, right? Indianapolis, Oklahoma City, Portland, um, Oh, my God. I just was having this conversation with my daughter the other day. Um, But there's a bunch of cities where the NBA is the only major league team. And that is a huge advantage to them. I do not want Oakland – I do not – Major League Baseball going to be the third professional major league team in Las Vegas is the worst idea imaginable. Anyway, leave the – build a new stadium, put it – leave the team in Oakland. Yeah, I took a page out of the NHL's playbook too. They've done it before. I mean, hockey in Nashville, actually pretty amazing. Great Funny arena experience. Yeah, yep. it was a little bit different. There's a football team there too, of course, with the Titans. But I like the idea of going somewhere new. Be the first or second one into a market, not the third. One more item to get to, Keith. The big story that broke over the weekend, the Major League Baseball Players Association is trying to extend itself to the minor league players. And it's something I've wondered about for a long time. Like Why, why wouldn't minor league players be included in the major league players union. We know the issues about player pay and t- poor travel conditions, poor living conditions. These things have been very well documented and reported on in recent years, especially. And this effort, if it is successful, would go a very long way toward changing that. I think there's a a natural question that I have thinking a few steps down the road of how will major league baseball push back on this because they're not just going to sit here and say, Hey, good for the players. They're all working together now. Good job. It's not, that's not how it works. (laughs) So what's going to change in professional baseball. If this is a successful effort on the part of the players association. Oh, they're going to contract minor league teams. 
I guarantee you. What? It's going to start very soon. The rumors, someone will leak out. You know, that guy from AP who always gets the arbitration awards will suddenly say, Major League Baseball has a plan to contract another 30 minor league teams. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's exactly what they're going to do. What does every company do when threatened with unionization? We're going to cut jobs. Oh, this is really going to hurt you. It's not really in your best interest to have a group that is dedicated to collectively bargaining just for your rights. Okay, shut up. Right? The number of industries where it's a bad idea to unionize, for the workers to unionize, is like you could have – like Mordecai Three Finger Brown could count them on the fingers of his right hand. He was right-handed, right? And still have fingers left over. Yeah. So, yeah, Major League Baseball is going to threaten. They might follow through, too. It's bad faith. Don't let him do it. It's almost a certainty that that's the way things are, are going to play out. Oh, yeah. I guess I wonder beyond that step, are we going to see more of an academy-style system for developing players, right? Eventually, if you take away enough minor league affiliates, you're not going to have enough places to play the players that you want to have in your organization. You've already talked about the absence of, of short-season affiliates and the impact that's having on player development now. So if you think about tearing away another 20, 30, 40 minor league teams, whatever that final number would end up being, mm-hmm. that makes an already growing problem for player development an even greater problem. Yes. Yes to all of this. Major League Baseball wants players to develop. They just don't want to pay for it. That's really what it is. You know, they were fine running large teams, large farm systems, et cetera, et cetera when they didn't have to cover the costs. And now what we are seeing, of course, is um, Major League Baseball has to pay more of these costs. They've had to, you know, they've had to improve living conditions for the players. Now they are likely to have to increase salary and maybe increase benefits or increase other guarantees to players. And they're going to really not like that, even though it is a minuscule fraction of their annual expenses. It doesn't matter. The Major League Baseball's owners have demonstrated throughout their history, they'll pinch a penny until it screams. And they, and especially if that penny was going to go to one of the human beings who plays baseball, the actual product, those are the last things they want. And so I have absolutely zero faith that Major League Baseball will respond to this in a fair and equitable manner. They are going to threaten to cut the minor leagues as much as possible. And they're going to run to Congress to do it, by the way, because it's what they did last time. Yeah, that seems like the playbook right there. But a really big development, Evan Drellick writing a lot about that for The Athletic. So I highly recommend that you read the stories that Evan is writing along the way, because more to come, as you can tell yep. by the uh, the tone of this part of our conversation. Uh, we are going to wrap things up for this episode of The Athletic Baseball Show. If you don't already have a subscription, you can get one for a dollar a month for the first six months. That is a great deal. It gives you something to read over the long holiday weekend. Have a safe and happy holiday weekend. You can find Keith on Twitter at Keith Law. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Monday.